Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello. Bonjour. Bonjour, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Que passe me Wendell Wallace. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is doing good. I hope everybody is feeling great. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this world a better place. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this world a better place through harmony, through peace, through love, through understanding, through listening, through learning, through education, of knowing the knowledge of others. I hope everybody in this country from sea to siding, shining sea. I hope everybody in Japan. I hope everybody in Australia. I hope everybody in the Middle East. I hope everybody in Canada. I hope everybody in South America. I hope everybody in Brazil is doing everything that they can to make this world a better place, to make this society a better place to be in through love, through peace, through unity, and through understanding. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. Today, the things I'm going to be discussing on the podcast, man, you know, in the United States, everybody is gung-ho in terms of the NFL, in terms of college football. Football is the king in terms of sports here in this country. It's not football, it's not basketball, it's not baseball, it's not anything else. It's football, number one, with a bullet, without a doubt. So, when I hear people talking about this upcoming NFL season and they're speaking about Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when they're speaking about the New England Patriots going forward without Tom Brady, when we speak about the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, when we talk about what team Colin Kaepernick is going to play for, when we talk about is Cam Newton going to be able to get a job, when we talk about, when we talk about the opportunities that Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick and others are going to have. What's the chances of them landing on a football team? When we talk about the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, when we talk about anything regarding the National Football League, we're always speaking in terms of the league is going to be starting, the games, the schedule is going to be starting on time, everything is going to be cool for the most part in terms of any non-interruptions coming through so we can start talking about some other things about Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, whether it's Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, whether it's, you know, the new situations in town regarding some of the free agents going here, going there, going everywhere. But my question has always been this, especially now in the last couple of days. Are we sure the NFL and college football was going to be played this season? Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute, of allergy and infectious diseases. He suggested the NFL might need to play in an isolated environment like the NBA plans to do in Orlando this, later on this summer. This is what he told CNN's medical chief correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. He said, unless players are essentially in a bubble, insulated from the community, and they are tested nearly every day, it would be very hard to see how football is able to be played this fall. If there's a second wave, which is certainly a possibility and which would be complicated by the predictable flu season, football may not happen this year. Now, you know, many folks in America are sitting there going, oh, my goodness, Dr. Fauci, you hack, you no good, you bought and so-and-so, soldier soul, you political this, that, and the other, you 
don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 alternative measures, alternative reasons for you speaking like this, blah, 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 when it comes to Dr. Fauci giving news like this concerning our beloved football, especially when we're heading into a summer now where I'm predicting that there's going to be more states that are going to be shutting down by the time the summer's over, the way that a lot of states are behaving themselves in the way that the cases of the coronavirus are moving upwards, are trending upwards. I'm predicting, I don't know, I'm not a doctor of infectious diseases or anything like that. I don't follow this stuff, um, you know, every day, every second, every minute, like like the Doobie Brothers. But, you know, the way that we're behaving ourselves, the way that we're acting so cavalier in terms of thinking that we've got this virus licked, a lot of people in this country, I think there's going to be a time where, you know what, man, these, cover, these governors are going to have to, once again, become big brother and say, no, nah, you know what, uh, we're going to have to go back, we're going to have to go back from the beginning in terms of, you know, shutting some things down and taking away some of our freedoms and some of our liberties for our own good, for our own health, for our own safety in terms of spreading the virus because, as I mentioned before, and I'll mention it later on in the podcast about how these states, a lot of these states are seeing an uptick, an uprise in the positives of coronavirus, of those who are being infected by the coronavirus, especially states who have opened up uh, earlier than others. So, you know, football is in jeopardy, according to Dr. Fauci, unless somehow, some way, we can come up with a way similar to the NBA, what they're doing, which is to basically quarantine, isolate the football team, the football players, the football franchises, and play a season that way. Now, Dr. Alan Stills is the NFL's chief, med- chief medical officer. He responded to what Dr. Fauci had to say in the statement. He said that, quote, Dr. Fauci has identified the important health and safety issues we and the NFL Players Association together with our joint medical advisors are addressing to mitigate the health risk to players, coaches, and other essential personnel. We are developing a comprehensive and rapid result testing program and rigorous protocols that call for a shared responsibility from everyone inside our football ecosystem. The plans were based on the collective guidance of public health officials as well as other sports leagues. So Stills went on to say that, make no mistake, this is no, this is no easy task. We will make adjustments as necessary to meet the public health environment as we prepare to play the 2020 season as scheduled with increased protocols and safety measures for all players, personnel, and attendees. We will be flexible and adaptable in this environment to adjust to the virus as needed. Ah, man, I, you know, that sounds good, and that sounds wonderful, but I'm still pessimistic. What do they mean talking about making the adjustments? What adjustments are you making as necessary to meet the public health environment to, pre- to prepare to play the 2020 season as scheduled? What are you doing? What exactly are you doing? What's happening with training camp? When people do get to training camp, if there is going to be a training camp, what public health environmental safety measures are you putting in there to protect the players, to protect the coaches, to protect the personnel? Exactly what are you doing? You Have you been witnessing what's been going on in this country in terms of the uptick of coronaviruses? On consecutive days last week, Florida announced a new record number for coronavirus cases. They added almost 4,000 reports for a total approaching 90,000. What scares me about what's going to be happening with the NBA if they try to come back later on in July. And the 4,000 reports of coronaviruses in the state of Florida, that broke the previous record set just Thursday when 3,207 
reports were added according to the state health department. And according to projections from the model by scientists at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania, they say Florida has all the makings of the next large epicenter of coronavirus transmissions and risks being the worst it has ever been. How are we thinking about playing football? How are we thinking about playing college football? And those measures, how are we even thinking about playing the NBA season or resuming the NBA season in July? Look, I understand as I'm recording that this is on Sunday, June 21st. So from now until we're speaking about later on in July, we're speaking about August, we're speaking about September. We don't know exactly what's going to be happening. We don't know what measures are going to be in place. We don't know what protocols are being put down right now in some of these states so football can begin uh, as on time as scheduled. But man, I'm looking at the latest impact of cases in the United States of people testing positive for the coronavirus, and they're doing it in states where, guess what? There's professional football franchises. You're speaking about the state of Arizona that had a record 30,246 new infections over the previous 24 hours. Compared, uh, speaking about last Wednesday, the data from John Hopkins University showed 16 states with average rates over the past week exceeding that level and climbing. We're speaking about four states averaging double-digit rates. Arizona's at 17%, Alabama's at 12%, Washington State's at 11%, South Carolina is at 10%. There's like states like Utah and Texas and Mississippi and Florida and Georgia, they're all averaging rates of 7.5% or higher in terms of the growth of this virus, in terms of people becoming affected uh, for this virus. What's going on, man? How in the world are we going to play football? How in the world are we even thinking about playing football when... Thursday, for the first time, California reported more than 4,000 new cases in a single day, with most of them coming from Los Angeles County, which reported 2,115. We're talking about Texas, where the cases are up 53% in two weeks. Positive tests increasing current hospitalizations up from 1,626 on May 10th to 2,153 on June 10th. Texas, one of those states where the governor was like, yeah, go ahead, fellas. Go ahead, ladies. Go ahead, citizens. Everything is back. Well, I shouldn't say everything is back to normal, but just go on the presumption that sooner or later, more sooner than later, everything is going to be back to normal. So you see these jackasses out here on the beach. You see all these people flocking over to the bars and acting like it's 1999. They're going to party like it's 1999 with Prince of the Revolution. Up here acting like fools, acting like this stuff is no longer a mitigating threat. Well, we see the cases, we see the evidence, we see the data, we see the proof that no, it's not. And you speak about Texas, you speak about Mississippi, you speak about Alabama, you speak about Southern California, you speak about Washington, you speak about all these states, football and college football franchises and programs from those states. We're speaking about in the NFL. I mean, how does this not affect the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Miami Dolphins, the Dallas Cowboys, the Arizona Cardinals, the Houston Texans, the Los Angeles Rams and Chargers, the Atlanta Falcons, the Seattle Seahawks? How does this not affect these guys if the cases of the coronavirus and people getting positive continue to rise? How does that not affect whether this season is going to be played. And we're, we're speaking about a competitive balance. How does it not affect the chances of teams like the Dolphins and the Jaguars and the Cowboys and the Cardinals and the Falcons and the Seahawks and the Rams and the Texans? How does, not, how does that not affect their chances to 
fulfill the potential of what their teams could be for the regular season. And doesn't that give an advantage to other teams where there's not that much of a spike or there's not that much of a risk in terms of these players conjugating to their training camps and such to work out? I mean, doesn't that put extra stress? Doesn't that put extra burden? Doesn't that put extra responsibilities on the on the teams like the Jaguars and the Dolphins and the Cowboys to see what they can do to overcome these obstacles? And doesn't that put these players more in peril than, say, somebody who's playing for the New York Giants or playing for the New York Jets or playing for the Tennessee Titans or playing for the Washington Snyderskins? Doesn't it do all that, even though I'm quite sure there's plenty of evidence to show that those states also and those areas and those regions are also moving forward in terms of people who are getting affected by the uh, coronavirus. Take a look at the college football programs that could be affected by the spike in positive tests for corona. We're speaking about almost every school with the exception one of Tennessee, possibly. We're almost every school in the SEC conference. They're being affected by this. We're speaking about Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and Mississippi, Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas. Their cases are up 113% two weeks from in the state. We're speaking about LSU. What about teams in the ACC such as Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, Florida State, whose states have seen a major uptick as far as the virus is concerned? A number of Dallas Cowboys in Houston, Texas have tested positive for the virus, including um, according to NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport, who tweeted that one of the Cowboys that was uh, tested positive for the coronavirus was Ezekiel Elliott. Now, he's asymptomatic, but still, I mean, it's still a situation where, I mean, are we sure? Are we positive that we're going to go through with this? None of the players are believed to have been in the team facilities when you're speaking about the Houston Texans, players who, who uh, tested positive for corona. Same with the Dallas Cowboys, whose players were tested as positive for the coronavirus, some of the players. And one of the players, as I mentioned before, testing positive, running back Ezekiel Elliott, his agent Rocky Arsenault confirmed that Elliott is feeling good. But, you know, we're speaking about other players who have tested positive. One of the 49ers who was working out in Nashville tested positive for COVID-19. The Denver Broncos safety Kareem Jackson confirmed to Nine News that he has tested positive for the coronavirus. He was talking about he was feeling congestion two days ago. He woke up and still had congestion and a little bit of the chills, so he decided to go ahead and get tested, and bing, bang, boom, boom, he was tested for uh, corona. So, look, on June 8th, the NFL and the NFLPA released a memo that established safety protocols for players to return to the facility. We're speaking about locker meeting room modifications to account for social distancing. When it comes to established one-way traffic in common corridors, they're going to be putting that in place. A limit of 15 players at a time for conditioning workouts. Players also going to have to wear masks except when inter interfering with athletic activities. I mean, so, you know, again, I, I, I don't understand right now how the NFL is going to be playing, how college football is going to be happening with all of these situations. Now, again, as I go back before, this is only June. We still have all of July. We still have all of August to see exactly what's going to be happening. If you're in the NFL and you need to delay the season by a week or two or a month or so, you can go ahead and do that, I believe. 
But there's just so many questions. And as I mentioned before, everybody's talking about the NFL and everybody's talking about the season like, you know, this stuff isn't happening. And we're talking about the Tennessee Titans defense. And we're talking about the the, the, the Minnesota Vikings offense. And we're talking about who's going to be winning the AFC East and who's going to be winning the NFC South and who's going to be doing what and who's going to be doing where as far as football is concerned, as far as the actual playing football on the field is concerned. Man, I would love to go ahead and talk about that. I would love to go ahead and expound a little bit more on my thoughts and feelings about how well the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do with all the acquisitions that they would have, that they had. I would love to go ahead and talk about the NFC North and talk about what teams look like legitimate contenders. I would love to go ahead and talk about the relationship dynamic that's going to be happening in Green Bay with Jordan Love, the quarterback to be, and the current quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. I would love to be sitting here and talk about Lamar Jackson, how he's going to either progress or regress or stay the same as a quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I would love to sit there and talk about the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. Is he now that guy? Is he now the franchise, not just for the Kansas City Chiefs, but I'm talking about the entire league of that as that next great superstar. I'm interested to see the dynamic between Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints to see what's going down in that situation. Well, as far as that locker room is concerned, if the Saints once again can overcome heartbreak in the playoffs to rebound and have another successful season. That's going to be interesting to see Sean Payton, the head coach, get that done. All of these things I would love to talk about, but I'm thinking to myself, how are all these things any more important than what's going on in terms of what's happening with this coronavirus? What's happening around them in the world today? As I mentioned before, with these states moving up and up and up and up and up the ladder in terms of positive viruses uh, confirmed, uh, so to speak, what's going to be happening? We have no idea. And I'm getting nervous because I want to see football. I want to see college football. I want to see the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Dr. Fauci, he's not the bearer of bad news. He's just the bearer of the truth. He's just the bearer of realistic situations. And if you sit back and you think about it, and you think about the game of football and everything that it entails, shit, man, how the hell are they going to be playing football this season? Especially as Dr. Fauci said, another specialist in this field has said, there's going to be a second wave of the coronavirus. The only thing, or the only reason why that's not freaking everybody out is because hopefully, maybe, possibly, we've learned something from the first wave of the virus that was sent down here where everything was shut down in March. And we'll be better prepared, we'll have better knowledge, we'll have better understanding of what we need to do moving forward. But how do we know in September or October or November, how do we know that the world, this country, is not going to be shut down again because of the second wave of coronavirus on top of the fact that people are not having the responsibility that they need to in terms of social distancing, in terms of the things that we need to do to help stop the spread of this virus in many situations out here. Shit, I saw something down at the Cosmopolitan the other night. Someone took a picture of folks down at the Cosmopolitan a couple of weeks ago when Vegas and the Strip first opened up. I mean, you have folks walking around there like it's no big deal. You had folks walking around there like it was every other Friday. No mask, no social distancing, nothing. So I'm thinking again that we're headed, I don't know, man, what, Six weeks, eight weeks around there? What's your guess? That possibly we're going to shut down and we're going to have to do this again. And if it does happen, what does that mean for football? What does that mean for football, both the NFL and college football? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. 
So glad that you could be with us. So the question's moving forward, because I mentioned before, what's going to be happening with the NFL season? Are we sure, are we positive that there's going to be a season? And we think about the questions in terms of how this season going to work. Number one, how exactly can you play a game? How can you play a football game and respect social distancing requirements? We're speaking about players at the line of scrimmage. We're talking about how those huddles for offense and defense after every play. We're talking about quarterbacks under center, cornerbacks guarding wide receivers, tackling players and coaches on the sideline, locker rooms before and after games and during halftime. Exactly how was this going to work with social distancing? You, you can't have the offensive line at the line of scrimmage and have the defensive line six feet back. You can't do that. And even if you did do that, obviously – those players, those defensive players are going to have to tackle somebody. And they're going to have to hit somebody. And those offensive linemen are going to have to block somebody. Same with the running backs. They are going to have to block somebody on passing downs. And on running downs, they're going to have to run into people. And then when they are on the ground, you know, almost by new human nature, somebody is going to have to help them up. How exactly is that going to work? We're speaking about the sidelines. Where's the coaches going to be at? We have some coaches of advanced age concerning this virus still working, still employed by an NFL franchise. How, how is that going to work? Are they going to be over on one side and the rest of the team is going to be six feet away from each other? What about when the offensive lineman, what about when the offensive coordinator needs to speak with his team as far as the, as far as the offense is concerned? What happens when the running back coach needs on the sidelines to go ahead and relay some information about what they need to do to be more successful to the running backs. Those guys can't go over there and do that. What exactly are they going to do? How exactly is that going to work? What happens if some of the states are open and the others are closed? How is an NFL game going to be played if states, if Southern California is on lockdown, if New York is on lockdown, if Louisiana is on lockdown, if Florida is on lockdown, if Washington is on lockdown, but you have Minnesota, Philadelphia, and I don't know what, uh, Charlotte, Charlottesville open. How, how is that going to work? Are teams going to have to start forfeiting games? Are teams going to have to start rescheduling games? How is that? What happens if a player tests positive for COVID-19? It's illegal to treat the situation the same if it's, say, a punter or a kicker compared to an offensive lineman or defensive lineman. I mean, what happens if a third-string third string offensive lineman gets the coronavirus? And he might have been in a play for one or two series or something like that due to injury or whatever. What exactly is going to happen? Do the players on defense that he played against, it's, are they going to have to go ahead and get tested and then be quarantined? How about the offensive linemen, his offensive line mates? Are they going to have to go ahead and get tested to see if they're positive or negative? Same thing with the quarterback, same thing with the running back, same thing with the wide receiver, same thing with the guys on the bench who make sure that the Gatorade is filled in the tubs, all this other stuff that happens. I mean, what's going to be happening in that situation? And the reason why I say compared to, I mentioned before, is the league going to treat the same the situation the same if a punter or a kicker gets it compared to an offensive and defensive lineman, the reason why I say that is because, yes, of course, the offensive lineman and defensive lineman put themselves in a more advantageous position to 
affect the person next to them compared to the kicker. So do they quarantine the entire team or do they quarantine the entire team or the team that they played against if the offensive lineman or defensive lineman or the linebacker for that team tested positive for the corona? Or if it's just the punter or the kicker, they can just self-quarantine him and then just move on about their business. I don't know. I don't know. How often are the players going to get tested, by the way? Where are these games going to be played? I mean, again, what happens if what happens if the Washington Snyderskins have to play the New York Giants and Cuomo shuts down the city again? What's going to be happening? Are they going to play in Hoboken? Are they going to play in Maine? Are they going to play in Rhode Island? Are they going to play on, I don't know, Bermuda? Where in the hell exactly are they going to play? Are they going to play at all? Are they just going to go back to D.C. and play? Are they going to go to Richmond, Virginia, somewhere, uh, you know, a, a neutral site and play so there won't be any competitive advantage? Not just a competitive advantage, but another opportunity for Daniel Snyder or, or anybody else who's hosting a home game to go ahead and get a paycheck even though there won't be anybody in the stands. What exactly is going to be? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. That's what I'm asking you. I have no answers about what's going to be happening. But if I'm dealing with the NFL right now, and I'm dealing with these questions, I'm looking at the protocol. What protocol can you have? Again, on the sidelines, is everybody going to be six feet apart? How exactly is that going to work? What about the huddles? Again, there's just going to be no huddle offense. Again, the defense and the offensive linemen, the quarterback covering the wide receivers. Everything's going to be six feet, six inches, or whatever, apart from each other? I have no idea how this is going to turn out for pro football. But again, as a man, as a man who loves uh, football, and for me, it's like a way of life during the fall on Sundays to watch my NFL football. I ain't doing anything, man. I ain't doing nothing in terms of chores or anything like that. Once out here 10 a.m. happens, I am settling down to watch me some football, period. And I ain't moving from that spot until 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time when the Sunday night football game is over. So if that routine is broken up, it was already hard enough for me to deal with, you know, the situation in March and April and May and going on so far right now where we don't have basketball, where we don't have the playoffs, where we didn't have March Madness, where we didn't have the tournament conference games, where we didn't have Wimbledon, where we didn't have all of these sporting events that I love watching. What's going to be happening now when the fall rolls around after a summer of possibly no sports with the exception of being the NBA in hockey? What exactly, well, you know, you got NASCAR and others, but I'm talking about as far as the professional sports leagues are concerned with no football coming in the fall and then dealing with the second wave of the coronavirus. Hey, man, I'm I'm saying that this is a situation where this doggone country might explode under those situations. But then again, what's the remedy? The remedy is possibly there might be none. And Dr. Fauci might be right because the NFL is too big. There's too many personnel. There's too many players. There's too many coaches. There's too many you know, uh, employees to have a Orlando Walt Disney type of situation where those guys play in a bubble. It's easier for the NBA, but it's not that easy for the NFL. In fact, it's impossible for the NFL. In fact, the NFL said, no, that's not going to be happening. So moving forward with the season, starting, not starting, I don't know. Seriously, when it comes to the NFL and the season, I don't know. 
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's going down in the world of sports, talking about the possibility of the NFL not returning in the fall. Dr. Anthony Fauci speaking about with the second wave of the coronavirus heading our way this fall and unless the NFL can imitate what the NBA is looking to do in terms of being in a bubble to be basically quarantined to play their games that it'd be hard for football to be played in the fall so I don't know man I'm just again asking the questions I don't have the answers because I don't know if we're speaking here and it's June 21st and we're taking a look at the the, you know, prognostications in terms of where this virus is headed and what's going to be happening at that time. I would say if the numbers continue to rise like they've been rising in such states as Mississippi and Texas and Alabama and Washington and all these other states where they have professional football teams and where they have college football teams, I, I don't see how how the NFL is going to be playing this fall. I have no idea. And I think what their doctor, Dr. Stills, talking about, you know, we're putting everything in place. We're doing everything that we can. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I mean, it's almost a situation where it can't be just the regular, you know, players going home, dealing with their families, then coming in the work, play the game, and then going back home and living their everyday lives. That's not happening. That's not going to be happening for the NFL to return. It can't. There's got to be a situation where there's got to be some quarantine. There's got to be some some isolation, shall we speak. So I don't know exactly how that's going to be putting down. And if I'm the NFL owners, if I'm one of those owners, I need to be really cautious. And I need to play it very safe when it comes to this issue, when it comes to player safety and it comes to players' health. Right now, the relationship between the owners and the players are tenuous considering some of the things that they've done during this um, third reconstruction of this country, the George Floyd incident bringing out, you know, racial and social injustice to black folks. Right now, you know, the players are in a wait-and-see mode in terms of how sincere and how genuine the owners are concerning their thoughts and their feelings about who they are as human beings. So if I'm an NFL owner, look, I've already been on the wrong side of history, on the wrong side of safety, when the NFL owners and the higher-ups didn't take the head injuries and concussions seriously. Remember that nonsense? Where these players were up there, various players filed lawsuits against the league for the concussions, accusing the league of hiding information that linked head trauma to permanent brain damage, Alzheimer's disease, and dementia. You had Dave Duerson, you had Junior Seau, you had all of these guys basically killing themselves because they just couldn't stand to live like this with the effects of having CTE and having dementia and the NFL doctors were sitting there talking about, no, 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 getting your bell rung numerous times does not lead to any of these type of illnesses uh, that these players are experiencing right now. No, 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 no. Remember that? Remember how contentious they were? No matter, remember how distrustful the union and the players and the owners were during that time, or at least the lack of, uh, the lack of trust that the players had toward the owners because basically they were just saying, look, you're using this as a fucking piece of meat. You don't give a fuck what happens to us 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when I'm going to be in my 60s, when I'm going to be in my 70s. I mean, yeah, I can accept the fact that, you know, when I get a little bit older, that my physical deterioration is going to be happening quicker than the average person. I get playing football as a dangerous sport and I get 
the consequences of playing football down the road. I know my knees are going to be aching. I know my elbows are going to be aching. I know that every morning when I get out of bed that I'm going to be feeling the aches and the pains. I understand that I might have a hard time walking. I might understand that arthritis in my hands might cause me some disabilities. It might cause me some, some uh, uh, be in adverse situations in terms of helping myself and taking for granted the things that we take for granted for on the everyday. I understand that playing football is going to fuck up my hands. I understand that playing football is going to mess up my feet. I understand all of those things. But one thing you didn't tell us about was when I get to be 50, when I get to be 60, when I get to be 65, I'm not going to remember who the fuck I am. You guys didn't tell me, or at least you guys hid the information, or you were naive, or you didn't care enough. To know that there's a possibility, a strong possibility, the way that the, game, the, that the game of football is being played right now, that by the time I'm 50 years old, I might walk down the street and not know why I walk down the street or how I get back to my house. It might come a situation where I might have to put my wife and my kids through hell because of my brain, the way it's acting, the way it's been damaged because of football. And with no help and no treatment, I might have to put my loving family members through hell. Because of my mood swings, because of my, uh, because of the afflictions that come with playing football and the head injuries. And you guys are doing nothing about it? What the fuck's going on? So if I'm an NFL owner, especially in this situation with this coronavirus, yeah, I'm taking every precaution. I'm not sitting there going, well, you know, yeah, if someone, I'm not being flippant. If someone comes down with the coronavirus, like the, what happens if someone gets the coronavirus? I'm not being laissez-faire or casual about it taking this shit very, very seriously because, again, the worst thing, the absolute worst thing for the league, for the owners, for the public relations, for everything else, is to have these games start up, to have one of these players contract the coronavirus, and then six weeks later, he's dead. Or you see two or three players from, I don't know, the Kansas City Chiefs or heaven forbid the Dallas Cowboys or the Green Bay Packers or the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of these teams that's known throughout the sports world, you would hate to see a key player, and because of that I'm not going to be naming any names, but you would hate to see a key player who people know who aren't rabid football fans come down with this disease or come down with this virus and then be in intensive care or have to deal through the possibility of their life ending. The NFL does not, and that's, of course, the worst-case scenario. The NFL does not want any part of that. So, no, if I'm the NFL, I learned my lessons from what I went through in 2014 and 2015 and 2016. There was a report from the New York Times in 2016, in fact, that said that, that alleged that the NFL admitted over 100 concussions, including those of star players Steve Young and Troy, and, uh, Troy Aikman, from fundamental data used in 13 um, scientific studies from 1996 to 2001, all of which would downplay the frequency of the head trauma in professional football. So the NFL owners knew at the time the disabilitating, uh, disabilitating effects of what concussions can do, and they did nothing. If I'm the NFL players, if I'm someone like the Michael Bennett, if I'm someone like a Richard Sherman who has already expressed the fact that they don't trust the owners to begin with, Richard Sherman has already expressed numerous times publicly that the owners, he feels that the owners really don't give a damn about them as players. They're just basically cattle for them to make money. So if you have players like Richard Sherman with that type of attitude, what makes them think that they're going to be 
cool. What think, what makes them think that they're going to be copacetic with handing over the responsibilities of the NFL owners to put in something in place to where they can assure that their safety, that the risk of attracting it or uh, getting this virus is going to be minimal? Some of those guys, I, I, I don't know. I would not do it at all. And like the NBA, there's so many things that are changing right now. Like the NBA with the NFL, what percentage of the football players employed by NFL teams are going to even be motivated to play football with the social unrest and the third reconstruction of this company happening right now? It would be interesting to see players from the NFL uh, Players Coalition, which go out and they talk about police reform, they talk about the criminal justice system, and they talk about, you know, how we can uplift and we can rebuild and we can give hope to some of the downtrodden communities in the, in the, uh, in the country that we live in, mainly the black and brown communities, what we're going to do to turn those ghettos into an oasis. What can we do to improve the everyday living of folks who are living below the poverty line, who are living with the distrust of the police, who are living with the fact that, you know, they are oppressed against because they, because of the color of their skin. So these NFL players who are part of this coalition, are those guys, how much of those guys going to be motivated to play football? Because right now, police brutality is under the spotlight right now. But shit, over the last, what, couple of weeks, four black men have been lynched. Oh, I'm sorry, have hung. And the official report has is they have committed suicide. So in a situation like this, for black folks in this country, all of a sudden now, we're so happy that there might be a possibility of white folks coming together and understanding what we're going through and there might be some hope for growth and for unity and for harmony that all of a sudden now we're running out and killing ourselves by hanging ourselves four deaths four hangings in two weeks that ain't that ain't suicide that's bullshit man that's fucking lynching from my naive ignorant lack of knowledge point of view I'm calling that modern day lynching those four brothers didn't go out there and kill themselves come on now so can we go ahead and at least investigate that? And as we ask for more as a community, you know the resistance is going to be there. And when you're dealing with the uneducated man of privilege, aka a Trump voter, I'm not what we're looking for a civil war. If it goes down in November, like I'm hoping and I'm praying that it goes down and we get this fucking idiot that we have in the office right now out of here, and for the ignorant, uneducated, trailer park white trash who sit there and cheer this clown, who think that he's their messiah, he's their last, you know, they feel Donald Trump is their their great white hope to return America back to it was, i.e. us on top, them on below. What's going to be the reaction? Normally, when you're speaking about uneducated fools like that, who have been used to their privilege of being the skin color that they are and the gender that they are. Usually when you're speaking about those uneducated folks, we're speaking about some type of, what do they call it? What do those militia folks call it? Revolution. Something that they're going through. Something that this community is going through. Something that my community is going through. Something that this world is going through. When we have that civil war, if it happens, between right and evil, 
And when I'm talking about right, it ain't about race when they're talking about the Civil War. The next Civil War, in my estimation, it ain't going to be like when Jack Johnson defeated Jim Jeffries and we had black versus white. It ain't going to be one of those situations where it's going to be like the Civil War where we had states trying to recede from the Union. I'm not talking about that type of Civil War. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about when like-minded folks who want to see change in this country. And we're speaking about Hispanics. We're speaking about blacks. We're speaking about... Um, uh, whites, we're speaking about everybody who's on the side of the right takes up and we go against those who want it to be back to the status quo when we want to have it back to where it was before. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know what side the police is going to be on, but my guesstimation is going to be more of them are going to be on the side for those wanting it to be the way it was than those who are wanting to have change. So it's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm calling it out right now. I'm calling it out right now. When November happens, when November comes along, and this shit hits the fan, and those idiots realize down in the down in those red states in Alabama and Mississippi and Missouri and Louisiana and Oklahoma and all them in Kansas and Montana and all of those places, Wyoming and all those places, when them white folks realize that their Messiah, their great white hope. Donald Trump is gone and things are going to get back to normal. Things are going to be back to, I shouldn't say normal, when things get back to the way it should be, or at least trying to move in that direction. And those people want to start a revolution and do all those type of things. What side do you think the police is going to be on? They're up there already whining and moaning and complaining and doing all type of bullshit because they can no longer go ahead and violate the rights of black folks and murder black folks and get away with it. Those guys who are just a bunch of, I mean, the boys in blue, for the most part, as far as their attitudes are concerned, are some of the fucking sensitive biggest bitches that I've ever seen in my life. No wonder these motherfuckers want to go ahead and shoot everybody as far as black folks is concerned every time they feel a little bit threatened. Biggest bunch of pussy-ass motherfuckers I think I've ever seen when it comes to getting their feelings hurt. Hey, fellas, do me a favor. You want to be up there and be all indignant and be all tough and be all emotional, talking about how you guys are taking it, you guys are getting it so badly, and the media is portraying you guys as being villains and thugs and horrible people. Stop fucking killing black people. Boom. Start about that, fellas. You want us to open up our arms? You want to give you respect as a whole, not just as individuals, but as, as the police for this country as a whole? Stop fucking killing black people. That would be a good start. Stop fucking violating our rights. Give us equal opportunities in terms of what we need to do to go through the justice system to see if we are guilty or we are innocent and let the punishment fit the crime, just the crime, not because of the color of our skin. That would be a good start for you pussies out there talking about, oh, we're just being so... Oh my goodness, the police, we're just being so put down and we're just being so disrespected. And you see that jackass from the New York Police Department up there, all white cops behind them, of course, talking about, I can't believe it, the media is just portraying us as so wrong and this is so bad and this is so horrible. Yeah, I'm going to do Diallo's mother, I'm quite sure, sitting there talking about, yeah, I'm quite sure that those guys are right, right? The motherfuckers who shot my son 41 fucking times and then those assholes in Albany declare the uh, folks who murdered that kid innocent. Yeah, so, so, so please, spare me your fucking tears. So basically, all that is to say on that little rant was when 
you have players such as Malcolm Jenkins in the NFL or Devin McCourty and Doug Baldwin Jr. and Torrey Smith and Demario Davis and Josh Norman and Josh McCown players who have formed, some of the players who have formed the NFL Players Coalition. Are they even going to be motivated to play under limited, restrictive type of environments and conditions when, again, this could be a situation where they feel that they need to be, that their voices need to be heard? that their profile needs to be heard, that they need to go back out to the communities and lend their voices and lend their experience and lend their hearts and lend their compassion and lend their dollars and lend their ideas. I mean, those are the things that, like that I'm going to be talking about that, not this podcast, but in the next podcast about the NBA. When you take a look at Kyrie Irving, when you take a look at Avery Bradley, when you take a look at some of these uh, basketball players in the NBA who are talking about, you know, we need to have a discussion. And it's not the majority, it's a small minority, but still, there's that number of NBA players who are sitting there talking about, hey, you know what? I mean, everything that's going down in this country, everything that's happening with this reconstruction, man, this is history that we're talking about. This is much more important than who's going to be winning a scoring title or who's going to be winning an NBA championship when the history books are rewritten and my great, great grandkids, if this country, if this world is still around, if God decides he wants this country to stick around, if this experiment still is about in terms of the human being and the humans that we are on this planet, if the Lord wants us to continue 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, what's going to be happening now is going to be in the record books. And this is being recorded. This ain't like the uh, 19th century or the 18th century. We don't know what George Washington looked and sounded like. We don't know what Thomas Jefferson looked and sounded like in terms of nothing but photos and pictures. Man, we got the cameras rolling right now. We've got archive footage in terms of the real to real. We can hear these guys. We can see these guys. You know, we've got clear evidence for the vaults, for the other generations that are going to be coming through this world of ours in the next 50, 100, 150, 200 years when this generation is long gone. So if you're Malcolm Jenkins, if you're Devin McCourty, if you're Josh McCown, if you're Josh Norman, what's the thought? Where are you swaying? What are you thinking about? Are you going to be part of history or are you going to be a guy who's going to sit there and say, well, you know, we played NFL football. You guys are talking about you, you want to be more than NFL football players. You have definitely shown that you are through your compassion, through your intelligence, through your dedication through your contributions, and um, everybody, black, white, brown, women, gay, whoever, should be thanking you, should be definitely thanking you for the work that you're doing, because again, it helps all of us. You guys going into these oppressed communities, you guys doing what you need to do to help these black and brown communities, it helps every community. It helps if you're going down to try to take care of what's happening in Inglewatch or taking care of what's happening in East L.A., it's going to help the people up in uh, Beverly Hills. If you go down to the uh, places down in southeast Washington, D.C., it's going to be helping the folks who are living around near Georgetown. If we're talking about going down to Miami and helping the folks out there on Liberty City, it's going to be helping the folks who are going to be living in the rich areas in South Beach. So we, we thank you for your contributions, for your dedication to make this world a better place for everybody, not just one group of people with their concentration being on one group of people. Everybody is going to um, is going to be grateful or should be grateful for that, for helping you, for helping us get a better life. But, you know, again, what type of sentiment is going to be for those guys to play 
under these conditions, especially if the league starts late? What type of motivation are they going to have? How about the outspoken players like Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett? I mean, those guys don't like the owners to begin with. I mean, Michael Bennett, you can go ahead and you can ask him anything concerning the NFL owners. I mean, he'll lay it down. He'll give you the 100. I mean, he's talking truth in terms of what his thoughts and feelings. He has no love for the NFL owners. So are Richard Sherman, Michael Bennett, and players of that ilk or players like that, are they willing to risk their health by putting their trust in NFL owners? I don't know. And it all goes back to, again, if I'm the league, after the way they botched the concussion situation and the way they came off of being so insensitive, I um, I would uh, kind of err on the side of caution in terms of what they need to do. If they're going to have this NFL season to be starting for the 2020 season, don't rush this shit back. I'm not just speaking about when the games are going to be played. I'm talking about... OTAs, I'm talking about training camps. I mean, what about uh, scrimmaging? What about uh, preseason football? I mean, we're going to be having a lot of guys coming in in terms of trying to make this football team. I mean, how can you get a 45-man roster? What chances of guys who are undrafted, who came out undrafted, joining a team? What are their chances of making the team if those guys don't have OTAs? Those guys don't have training camps. But then again, you have to understand why they don't have training camps. It's because of their safety. And I'm quite sure there's a guy who's 21, 22 years old who's been dreaming since day one to play in the NFL. He would do anything, even give his life for the opportunity to play in the NFL who's saying, fuck it, if I get the coronavirus, I get the coronavirus. Yeah, I'm being selfish, and he, yeah, but that's fine. But I've just, just give me the opportunity. This might be the only opportunity I have. And I know the shots, I know the odds of me making the team are long, but shit, man, give me that opportunity, please. Fuck the corona. I'll take the risk. But in the world that we're living in today, that ain't going to be possible. That might not be possible. So, again, moving forward, the NFL owners, the NFL players, they're going to have to negotiate. They're going to have to navigate through all this. You got the pandemic. You got the social unrest that's continuing. And we want it to continue. Just because this George Floyd deal happened and the we get later on in the summer that it might start to become a distant memory as other things start to crop up in our lives, both on a macro and micro level, that uh, it will be interesting to see these players and these owners moving forward exactly what can they do and if the season's going to start. And again, what is the season going to look like? So many questions without any answers whatsoever. Get past the people, get past the hitmen.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this world a better place. I hope everybody is conversing, talking with someone who you normally wouldn't talk to and just sit down and having an honest, sincere discussion, sincere, sincere discussion about what we can do to learn from each other. Or basically, if for those who need to listen and learn and actually listen and learn and actually listen and actually learn and take heed and take education on what we're trying to say and what we're talking about to once listen listen so we feel that those who are telling you about this situation actually feel that we're making some strides that we're making some inroads listen listen learn listen learn listen learn wendell's world of sports i'm your host of podcast i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in the world of sports concerning football, man. Is football going to be played this fall? And I'm speaking not just the NFL, but I'm also speaking about college. A lot of factors are going into this. And as I mentioned before, as I'm recording this on the evening of Sunday, June 21st, 2020, Barbara Walters, thank you very much, 2020, the fact that uh, I don't know. Who knows, man? I mean, I don't know exactly what's going to be happening with this virus. I don't know any type of protocols that are going to be putting in place. I don't know the NFL's top folks in terms of us, uh, in terms of this. I don't know exactly what they're going to be doing. I don't know if they're just going to say, you know what, screw it. Just put them out there and whoever gets the virus, get the virus and we'll deal with this. And we definitely need to get football. I don't know about fans. Are they going to be able to put fans in the stands? I'm quite sure in a like, take, for instance, if you're speaking about Dallas Stadium or Jerry Jones Stadium where they seat 90,000, I mean, are you going to be able to fit 10, 15,000 people in there? If you're speaking about some of these stadiums, I know you can't go at capacity, but can you put in 5% or 10% and just spread them out? I mean, how how does that work? There's a situation that if there's not going to be any fans, I mean, as far as compensation for the players, how is that going to work? I'm quite sure that they're going to have to do something in terms of the NFL owners recouping some of the losses that they're not going to get any money from fans coming to the stadium to watch them play. So I'm quite sure that's going to have to be negotiated and worked out. So, I mean, there's a lot of things. And as I mentioned before, I, I, I just don't see how you can play football and have social distancing at the same time. Those two things don't make any sense. It just doesn't mean it's again the offensive line, the defensive line, the huddles, the coaches on the sidelines. I mean, the players on the sidelines. Exactly, how are you going to social distance in that? Is, is this a situation where you guys are going to be playing in masks? Are you going to be having helmets being made to make sure that I don't know? There's a mask, and somehow, some way, you can cover the face. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of smeep, a lot of smeeple and people that uh, are a lot smarter about this than I am, that I'm quite sure I'm working morning, noon, and night, like the, like Michael Jackson work, got me working, working day and night, trying to uh, get this stuff together, man. So, I don't know. I mean, for me, I would love to play. I would love that football back in the fall. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm selfish. You know, these guys want to put themselves at risk, go for it. College and pro. I mean, you know, I, I'm selfish in that way. I want to see football. I want to see football badly, but... Uh, you know, I can definitely understand that the players are like, uh, hold on, man. And I can definitely understand those who are just like, you know what, I am. Uh, the way the world is going right now and uh, everything that's going down in the United States and everything that's happening to my community, if you're a black man, I'm not really interested to be playing at this present time. 
and going on with Kaepernick. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, again, that's why we wake up in the morning, right? I mean, that's the reason why we keep moving day to day, right? I mean, that's true. I mean, in part of, you know, our own lives, I mean, you know, I mean, right now we're all struggling right now. Well, most of us, a lot of us are struggling right now in this country, in this world. And it's just a matter of waking up each day to see what bullshit is going to be happening to me today. <laughs> what, what nonsense, no matter how big or how small, am I going to have to do? What am I going to deal with today? It makes life interesting, right? I mean, hell, if everything was perfect day after day after day, do you know how boring that would get after a while? You need a little trial and tribulation in your life, right? I mean, whether it be work or school or your kids or your wife or something like that. I'm not talking about something catastrophic, but... Hey, man, you know, we wake up every day and we find out what's going on in life. And then, you know, it makes it interesting. You know, the good and the bad. We take both and we just move on from there. So that's exactly what I'm going to be doing with the NFL, man. Who knows what's going to be happening? June 22nd, it could be the sky is falling. And then August 22nd, everything could be cool. Who knows, man? Maybe somebody we've never even heard of comes up with a vaccine or something. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the NFL comes up with this unbelievable plan where everybody is safe. I don't know. It's just a matter of, hey, I want to see the NFL, but if other things come to fruition to where that's not happening, I understand. I definitely understand. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So I was speaking about this, the college football. College football, is that shit going to be starting? I have. I really had less confidence that college football is going to be played more than the NFL. I mean, if I had to pick a two in terms of which one is either going to be suspended, postponed, or just canceled altogether, I'm guessing it's going to be college football. Now, the NCAA this past Wednesday approved the plan for summer athletic activities and preseason practice for the upcoming 2020 football season. The schedule, the season is scheduled to start on August 29th. And again, I, I have absolutely no idea how that's going to happen for all of the reasons just in terms of the way the game is played i have no idea how college football is going to be played you have players all across the country already that are testing positive for the virus this past friday 21 clemson football players tested positive for covid 19 in the latest testing of the 28 positive coronavirus tests conducted on the uh Clemson student-athletes and staff once they returned to campus two weeks ago, 23 belonged to the football players. Texas announced that 13 of its football players have tested positive for the coronavirus. 58 players initially returned to campus last week. 13 have already tested positive for corona. Ten or more players are in self-quarantine because of contract tracing, and six are already showing symptoms. So we're not speaking about the majority of those players being asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. The LSU Tigers, the defending national champion, LSU defending uh, the LSU Tigers. According to Sports Illustrated, 30 players are currently quarantined after testing positive. Texas and Kansas State are pausing voluntary workouts for 14 days after 14 positive tests, as I mentioned before. The University of Houston already had to send kids home from voluntary spring after 14 uh, spring workouts after 14 players tested positive, with six being symptomatic. The Alabama football program had a rash of positive tests when players gathered on campus. The LSU, the L UCLA football players don't even trust head coach Chip Kelly to act in their best interest. Did you hear this story? 
The football players on Friday, they demanded a third-party health official be present in all football activities moving forward because the group claims Chip Kelly's program has, quote, perpetually failed us, citing several mismanaged injury cases. The players don't trust members of the program to adequately follow the protocols regarding COVID-19. And this is a situation where these guys are actually listing demands. They're talking about, you know, if the demands are not met, they're talking about they're not they're, they're going to boycott all booster events, recruiting events, football-related promotional activities. Damn. I mean, that's some strong-ass shit that's happening right there. And you also have to think to yourself, well, wait a minute. What booster events can you have in this condition that this world is in right now, especially UCLA and Southern California? Aren't those guys still on quarantine for the most part? So booster events, recruiting events, they're still going to be football-related promotional activities even during this time period in Southern California, the way the rise in coronavirus has been moving upwards in the last couple of days, the last uh, couple of weeks. Wow. Wow. So, but basically, man, this is a situation where if I'm I'm a parent of one of these kids, hey, man, or one of these football players, uh, 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 uh-uh. I don't know if you're going to be coming back to campus. I don't know if you're going to, I know as hell you ain't coming back for voluntary workouts. No, 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 no. And if those players have those feelings, I mean, we're talking about situations where, I mean, you have some players who have asthma. You have some players who have, you know, situations where they might be more susceptible to getting not only just a positive test for the virus, but actually, you know, really putting their health in jeopardy. If those Players who, by the way, aren't getting paid, are like, nah, you know what? I'm cool in terms of coming, not coming back. I mean, I take a look at the virus count that's rising and everything. I'm not good about coming back and everything like that. I mean, what type of retribution does he receive from the coach, from the community, from his teammates, his quote unquote brothers? What's going to be happening? You know, are the players, is that player going to be able to keep his scholarship if they don't want to return to campus due to the fears of catching the coronavirus? What's going to be happening? Are students still going to be allowed on campus this fall? We don't know. It all depends. Again, recording this June 21st, we don't know. Now, as far as the educational system is concerned, in terms of, you know, in colleges and stuff, I'm quite sure for dorms and rooms and everything, there's a limit or there is a uh, deadline for all of this stuff to be taking place. They're not going to be, uh, they're not going to be wrapping this up two days before the school is supposed to start or school session is supposed to start. I mean, I'm quite sure you've got to have your deposit. Like everything that you have to go through in terms of securing uh, on-campus living, that's got to be done by what? If not done already, it's got to be at least the most you can, farthest you can go to is July, right? I mean, I don't know. i got to ask my man Jay Wex about that, who's a uh, who's in that field. But, you know, I, I want to find out exactly if, I'm a parent and everything. What's going to be happening with the university itself allowing students students back on campus? Now, the University of Maryland, their president, Wallace Lowe, wrote in a news release this past Monday. He said that, or they said that the university will take different steps to facilitate proper social distancing measures as students return to campus in the fall. They're talking about students and staff will be asked to take their temperature daily. Student dormitories will allow up to two students per room, eliminating three and four person rooms to reduce students' exposure to one another. 
The school will also limit seating in the dining hall, promote wearing face masks on campus, and supplement the state's contract uh, tracing task force. My guess is this, because college football is extremely important when you're speaking about the landscape of some of these schools. It is the bell cow. It is the main deal, the main industry for a lot of these communities, for a lot of these regions, for a lot of these states, for a lot of these towns, for a lot of these cities. I mean, a lot of town, a lot of times a college town can be a college town is because of its athletics and mainly because of its football program. So you're speaking about uh, money generating programs such as Texas A&M and Oklahoma and Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State, these schools that rake in hundreds and millions of dollars. If you're speaking about, you know, University of Michigan being in Ann Arbor, you're speaking about Ohio State being in Columbus, you're speaking about the University of Alabama being in Tuscaloosa. We're speaking about the University of Texas being in Austin. You're speaking about the University of Oklahoma being in Norman. You're speaking about Texas A&M University being in, uh, shit, where are they from? What town are they in? Oh, what town are they in? Oh, I forgot, it escaped my mind. But basically, it's the uh, that's their main industry down there. So, yeah, it's... All important. College football, a lot of these programs are just too damn big to fail. And when you speak about some of these powerhouses, the way they, for a lot of these schools, a lot of the Power Five schools, or a lot of these, you know, elite football programs, the way they're a lot of times responsible for keeping afloat some of the athletic programs and teams from the lower tier conferences or from the lower tier schools, the HBCUs. Yeah, they might, you know, Howard University and Morgan State and North Carolina A&T and FAMU and all these guys. I mean, they might, you know, it might be tough to watch these guys get blown up 78 to nothing every September and October by schools in the Big 12 or the ACC, South Carolina State getting their ass kicked by Clemson or, or you know, schools in the SWAC getting beat up by uh, some of these schools in the Power 5 conferences. But that six-figure paycheck, is what they need to keep that athletic apartment afloat. They're just speaking about some of these uh, athletic programs of the HBCUs, those schools from the MEAC, and those schools from the SWAC. They need that ass whooping so they can go ahead and get that check, so they can continue to uh, fund the sports programs. So if there's no football, or at least if this is a situation where because of this pandemic, that guess what? You know, sorry, Prairie View, you can't get that date where you're going to be getting $100,000. Sorry, Howard University, you're not going to be able to play Maryland and lose 84 to nothing, but yet and still, you still get a nice fat paycheck. I'm sorry, South Carolina State, you're not going to be able to lose 63 to nothing to Clemson but get that nice fat paycheck because the fact that the school or the fact that the college football season has been condensed, we just don't have enough in terms of games being played to uh, play in the season. And a lot of these small schools are going to be absolutely devastated by that. And you're speaking about those schools like Grambling. You're speaking about some of those schools like um, like Prairie View and such. Again, their economy for the most part is that university. And what do they do, that university moving forward, what can they do if they're not going to be getting that sizable payday from those schools that they're going to be playing, not just 
in football, but also in basketball, depending upon what the college basketball season is going to look like. So the term too big to fail for college football is correct. So my guess is that all of these schools that we're talking about, I'm quite sure that the admissions in terms of the on-campus housing is going to be limited, but I think it's going to be enough to where it will justify the reason for these college football teams to go ahead and play their games. Again, if you're speaking about Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Tennessee, some of these teams that play in these huge stadiums that I'm quite sure in a 100,000 seat, 110,000 seat stadium that if you want to throw in 25,000 possibly, I mean, that could work a little bit. I'm quite sure it could. I'm quite sure maybe somehow that they could find a way to make it safe enough to uh, have that amount of people in the stands cheering on the team. I don't know. I don't know. So I think because of that, again, and also because these college, college football programs are just too important not to play, that somehow, some way, they can go ahead and justify um, those guys playing and maybe playing when the season starts. But I, I don't. I, if I'm a, if I'm a parent, I'm not cool about this. What, what type of living adjustments will these college athletes going to have to make to be able to play? I mean, are they going to be, are they going to be taking online classes? I mean, are you going to have these guys be going to class and be around other folks on campus who possibly could give them the virus? So are they just going to be taking, are these student athletes or at least the football players, are they going to be taking only online classes? Are they going to be restrictive to living in a bubble type environment like the NBA players are going to be doing? So basically what they're going to be doing is just going from their dorm room to practice and then back to their dorm room. And they're not going to have any of the experience of being in college. They're not going to be able to interact with anybody else. They're not going to be able to go anywhere else. Again, they won't be able to go to this hall or that hall. They're not going to be able to uh, mix and mingle with some of the undergraduates or some of the other folks just because they're going to be athletes. Just because are, are you going to be able to sign waivers? Are these kids, are these kids even old enough to sign something that says, Hey, if you catch a coronavirus and die, we aren't responsible. So if you catch coronavirus and you're sick and this, that, and the other, we're not responsible. If the kids aren't going to be able to do that, are, are you going to get the parents? Are you going to get the guardians? Are you going to get the, um, are you going to get those folks to agree to those conditions and still be on scholarship? Are they going to be on scholarship if they say no? So I don't know. What about the team assistants, the student assistants and student managers? The academic tutors, the advisors, are they going to be able, are they going to have to subjugate themselves to the same type of conditions as the uh, football players and the athletes? If so, that fucking sucks because they're not on scholarship. So what's going to happen with that? All of these things, I don't know. All of these things, I have no flipping idea. My guess is going to be, I don't know. I wonder if... I don't know, man. I wonder if it's going to come down to, you know, just pressure from just society, you know? There's going to be a situation, man. There's going to be some places in this country where people are basically going to be locked down for the next couple of months. You know, there's going to be a situation where we're going to have to be living like this for the next couple of months. And you're talking about when Labor Day rolls around and we're speaking about folks who have been adjusting to this living condition and not living they want to, the way they want to live for months on top of months, 
I bet you they're going to get to the point where they just say, you know what, man, fuck it. I don't give a fuck about the coronavirus. I don't care about the coronavirus. I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of having to deal with my life like this. You're taking away my freedom, freedoms. You're taking away my liberty. Fuck all y'all. Let's go ahead and get this shit started. I think that's going to be the, the attitude, I think, by a lot of folks. And I wonder if these athletic directors or whoever makes these decisions are finally going to cave in and, and you know, basically give the people what they want. I don't know. I don't know. And as I mentioned before, God forbid, because it's hard the way we're living right now to then say, well, you know, this is going to continue because of the virus. Well, there's a lot of folks out there who might have the virus, but they're asymptomatic. I might have the virus. I don't know. I might have had the virus in 14 days or whatever, and it might be gone. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. I'm not getting a doggone nasal swab test. I'm telling you that for sure. But I don't know. I have no idea. But I feel great. I've always felt great physically. You know, no sniffles, no cough, no loss of uh, taste or smell, no chills, no flu-like symptoms, none of that stuff. I just knocked on wood. So, you know, I... I feel fine, but I've could have I could have had the virus. And I could have passed it along to someone who might not be asymptomatic. I don't know. I don't know. But I think that people are going to get to the point on Labor Day, they're going to irrationally think, well, shit, I feel fine. You know, I haven't had any sniffles. I hadn't had any symptoms. I've been out and about. I've been to the beach. I've been to the grocery store. I've been to the restaurant. I've been to all these places. And we're out in the dark. We're fine. We're cool. No big deal. Fauci doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I heard the fucking Republicans talking about, it's no big deal, we need to go back to work. I heard Luke Dobbs talking about, this only affects certain elderly people. So if they get it, hell, they look long enough, they don't need to live anymore, right? So who gives the fuck? I'm young, I'm strong, I'm this, I'm that. I'm, my immune system is good. I take care of myself, all of these things. I don't need to worry about this shit anymore. Fuck it, it's time for me to get back to living. That might be the attitude. Not, not might be, that's going to be the attitude especially when we hit Labor Day, especially if we have to restrict our way of living the way we were used to living before this pandemic happened. So I'm just interested to see if they're going to bend. I'm just interested to see in such states as Alabama and Louisiana and Oklahoma and Mississippi, I wonder if those are in charge are going to bend their will to the fucking ass clown that we have in the White House right now, this lying, amoral, incompetent piece of shit that's a national embarrassment to our country and to human beings all over this planet. Are they going to bend to his will to say, because you know that motherfucker who don't give a fuck about anybody except himself, he don't give a fuck about those in Alabama, he doesn't give a fuck about those in Mississippi, he don't care about them folks in Louisiana, he don't care about you stupid motherfuckers in Pennsylvania, he don't care about you dumb motherfuckers out there cheering his name in Ohio, he doesn't care about you idiots out there in Oklahoma who think that he's on your side, he don't give a fuck about any of you guys. You think that guy's gonna let any of you clowns into his, into one of his resorts? You think, you're gonna, you think he's gonna let you guys walk into his golf course you think that he's going to go out and hang with any of you guys? You think that guy knows anything about you? You think knows, you think that jackass knows anything about the pain and the strife and anything that you're going through? Do you realize that that guy doesn't give a fuck about your stupid asses? All he does is he wants your fucking vote so he can be more corrupt, 
so he can get richer and he's gonna be it he's gonna do it at the expense of your stupid asses you realize that don't you no you don't realize that but basically so when that jackass is talking about we need to go back we need things to get better and we need to go back to normal and this that and the other so i can get reelected. so you fools can can reelect me you know he don't give a fuck about you you know he's putting you at risk are those governors in those states are they going to do the right thing if need be to say no look we're either going to delay the season or we're going to put restrictions on what's going to be happening in the college football season are the presidents and the athletic directors and those in the SEC conference, the commissioners and such, are they going to do the right things and make the correct decision based on what's best for the non-paying student athlete? These guys who are putting their lives, putting their health on risk, putting it on the line, risking their health for nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. A scholarship. Let me rephrase that for nothing. I mean, are those guys going to do the right thing? Are those are those guys going to show what spineless, gutless cowards they are and follow their fucking leader, who's also spineless, a gutless piece of shit that he is? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So that's all I got to say about that, man. Again, and I'm, again, 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 again. I want the NFL and I want college football to start. But if those guys are going to be throwing out there the fact that, you know, well, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And basically, we're just going to have these seasons so, you know, we can make money and we can do all those things. I'll still watch. But uh, not only will I cringe, I also feel a little guilty while I'm doing it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Be with us. Bonjour. Que pasa? I'm watching the, um, I'm watching an old handball tournament or something like that as I'm doing this. Normally when I do these podcasts, I like to have some type of sports on. So I go to YouTube or whatever and I just bring up something. One time I was doing this, I had the 1969 Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings on. One time I had the uh, 1971 wild card or playoff game between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. Just something as far as sports is concerned, just to you know, kind of keep me in the right direction. So even if I want to deviate and talk about something else for just a second before I get back and start talking about what I want to talk about again, it's going to be something related to sports because if I have something like criminal justice on and I doing this program and I'm doing this podcast and I'm watching something about 
Ted Bundy, you know I'm going to have to say something. If I'm watching something about Wayne Williams, I'm going to have to say something. If I'm watching something about Gary Leon Ridgway, I'm going to have to say something about it. If I'm watching something about Aaron Key, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to say something about it. Even if it's sports-related, like Netflix had something, a really good docuseries about Aaron Hernandez, which I've watched multiple, multiple times. If I had that on while I'm doing this podcast, I could be talking about something nice and fluffy and wonderful about what's going on in college sports or what's happening in the NBA or having some real good heartfelt series. And then, you know, as I'm doing this, as I'm watching the program on mute about Aaron Hernandez, his name and face and that female that he had that bore his child, that's one of the dumbest bitches I think I've ever seen in a while, comes on and I just might just go off. Oh, yes, isn't it wonderful about this wonderful game that we have? And goddamn that Aaron Hernandez, you son of a bitch. I hope you fucking burn in hell. I mean, so I, so I like to just keep it, you know, something to where I'm not going to be going off on one of these, like, what the fuck's the matter with this guy, Tangent? I mean, y'all already think about me in that sense, right? Like, what the fuck's the matter with this guy? Just the way what, the way I do my podcast, right? But, uh, no, nah, so I just like to keep it on the, um, on the up and up. And I love handball. Ooh, I love handball. I tell you. Uh, who was this? I forget. There's Every time the Summer Olympics will come on, I always make it a point that I want to watch handball. So, you know, if something happens in 2020 and if, God forbid, my mom passes away and I have the freedom to get the fuck out of the country if we make the stupid and wrong choice in reelecting the jackass that we have in, in office right now, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> and God forbid, as I mentioned before, it's happened to my, something happens to my mother. I'm looking at Vancouver. I'm looking at Toronto. I'm looking at Switzerland. I'm looking at Denmark. I'm looking at Australia. And I'm looking at New Zealand. Um, I might be looking at London, uh, England also. But I don't know why I know one thing. If I have the opportunity, if this country is stupid enough to reelect the jackass that we have right now and what he can do, as far as fucking up this country, with no one to stop him, no breaks, and no worry about re uh, re-election, it's gonna fucking destroy this country. Absolutely destroy it. And I don't want to be around for that to happen. So, as I mentioned before, Denmark. So I'm watching. I'm watching Denmark versus versus Switzerland play in uh, handball. Great sport. Awesome sport. I could watch that all day. I could watch handball more than I could watch Major League Baseball in a heartbeat. Not even close. Sorry. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. You know, I had an idea. I'm going to throw this out here. I'm going to run it up the flagpole, see if you salute. I have an idea for the continuation of the recognition of black lives, black history, black culture matters. Because as I mentioned before, we might, we might be deviating just a little bit in terms of the importance, in terms of, you know, as things move on, as people get back to their lives, depending upon what happens with this virus, and good or bad, you know, that's pretty soon going to be taking center stage if we don't keep our eye on the ball and see what's going on with some more police brutality toward black folks and some lynchings, I'm sorry, some suicides that have been happening to black folks over the past four, uh, two weeks, four black folks being hung, being found hung. So if we take our eyes off the ball just a little bit. I say this. I was thinking about this. You know, the new anthem, there's an anthem that I think should be played for sporting events along with the national anthem, if that tradition continues for the near future. 
And just to show our seriousness, just to show just to show how serious we are, and just to kind of show our way of solidarity and unity, and again, people listening, people learning, people being educated, people being sincere in what they want to do to try to help move the movement. We're speaking about the third reconstruction right here. White folks, again, I, I, I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to the white community. I'm speaking to the Jewish community. I'm speaking to the Republican community. I'm speaking to the rich white folks community. I'm speaking to the old white male community. I'm speaking to the Me, Me, uh, Me Too movement. I'm speaking to my brothers who are Hispanic. I'm speaking to my brothers who are Asian. I'm speaking to the lovely, beautiful young ladies who are Asian. I'm speaking to the Filipinos. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to the gay community. I'm speaking to the transgender community. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters out there in Pelry. I'm speaking to my brothers out there in Ottawa. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters out there in Vancouver. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in the motherland. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Australia. I'm speaking to the whole goddamn world in terms of what we can do to improve, to show our unity, to show our sincerity in terms of really embracing what Black Lives Matter. The national anthem, if it's going to be played, our national anthem, at our sporting events, wherever it's appropriate, if it's going to be played, it should be played. It should be played. It should be played. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early line what so proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight for the... Yeah, we keep going. I like Marvin Gaye's version. I like uh, Jose Feliciano's version, the way he sang it at the 1968 World Series. Look it up on YouTube. It was awesome. Along with Marvin Gaye singing it at the 1983, 84 NBA All-Star Game. But those were my two favorite versions. Whitney's good, but you know what I mean. But um, so as well as singing... As well as playing that anthem, the national anthem, again, no doubt should be played. It should be played first because this is our country. No doubt about it. That should take precedence over anything. If you're going to be playing anything as far as what this country is all about, it should be the fucking national anthem. No doubt about it. But, but, I also think in congruence, we should also play the black national anthem, which is lift every voice and sing. There's multiple great versions that could be played. I, I myself like the, the traditional version. I like, I like the version of Lift Every Voice and Sing sounding something similar to this. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. 
Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high at the listing skies. Let it resound loud at the rolling sea. Love that version. Absolutely love that version. But if you want to get a little, a uh, little gritty, if you want to get a little soulful, I mean, I can't think of anybody better. If you want to use a different version of lift every voice and sing to show the unity, to show the sincerity of this country coming together. Ray Charles's version, do me just fine. I got something in my bones. Make me want to shout hallelujah. I like that. So I like that version also. Love that version, brother Ray. That's a very nice version of it. So if anybody wants to use that, I'm quite sure that the Ray Charles family would be more than happy to go ahead and give permission for anybody in terms of any arena, any stadium, whatever, would want to uh, go ahead and play that version of it. Be my guest. I would hopefully, uh, hopefully that would happen. Also, you know, one of the other ones that I heard that I really like. In fact, it was my favorite. This was an audio version made of Lift Every Voice and Sing by Melville Moore, Dionne Warwick, the great, the legendary, the awesome Stevie Wonder, the wonderful, beautiful, fabulous, talented Anita Baker. This version of this song is my favorite.
One thing I must emphasize, ooh, it says Anita Baker, that voice, boy, I tell you. Mm, mm, mm. Ooh, that woman back in 1987, in her prime. I'm sorry, Janet. I'm sorry, Whitney, Anita Baker. I mean, you talk about the definition of black beauty. I mean, we're speaking about the entire, mm, that voice, that look, the hairstyle, hair, fly haircut, look like Anita Baker, looked her up and down and said, mm, I'll take her. That is my favorite version of Lift Every Voice and Sing. So once again, just an idea that I had, just, you know, to once again show the sincerity of those on the other side in terms of learning, in terms of listening, in terms of reaching out, in terms of being sincere about showing true harmony and showing true togetherness and showing true unity. And again, the meaning of that song, the playing of that song for black folks, for the black community is a sense of pride. It's a sense of joy. It really would be a sense of, wow, man, folks are actually possibly maybe showing that they are um, a little bit sincere in terms of wanting to learn, in terms of wanting to know. And then that can maybe filter down to those from the younger generation who I've said before are going to be the ones, if we're ever going to turn this world around for a better place, if we're ever going to make this the world that we want to live in, I ain't going to be around to see it. Hootner ain't going to be around to see it. G-Cap ain't going to be around to see it. Mikkel Davis ain't going to be around to see it. Steve Smith ain't going to be around to see it. Flavius Gallibur ain't going to be around to see it. My generation ain't going to be around to see it. John Cruz ain't going to be around to see it. We're not going to be able to see that. We'll be long gone. Because my generation, our generation, Chris Ortiz, Marvin Prather, we're not going to be around to see it. <laughs> my boys, my homies, my friends, my brothers, and all those and others, we're not going to be around to see the true fruition. But again, as I mentioned before, those kids that would, that could hear this, those kids right now who are in elementary school, those kids right now who are in high school possibly, those kids right now who are in junior high, they're going to be the ones that are going to be responsible, I think, for ultimately taking this country where it's supposed to be going. And we need to give those kids... We need to give that generation, those younger generations, we need to give them every opportunity to learn, to understand, to have uh, uh, compassion, to have understanding. That's, that's what we need. So the introduction again of Lift Every Voice and saying, yeah, it brings certain pride. Yeah, it brings certain unity. Yeah, it brings certain togetherness. And it brings a certain joy and a movement forward for black folks. And for other folks, without question. It'll do great for such guys as Jerome. It'll be doing great things for such guys as Curly B and everything like that. No question about it. But like I mentioned before, the payoff in terms of making this society utopian the way that we want it to be, it will be for that younger generation. So that younger generation, just to hear lift every voice and sing, it'll be second nature. I mean, for us listening to the national anthem before every sporting event, for us, it's like second nature. Please rise, remove your cap, and pay homage to the Stars of Stripe. And they sing the Star Bangle Banner, and bingly bangly boom. I mean, we, that's just, when you go to a sporting event, that just happens. That's just commonplace. That's just routine. That's just part of the DNA. No big deal. Learning the Pledge of Allegiance at school. I mean, that's all part of the deal. That's all part of the foundation. That's all part of becoming American, right? Doing that stuff as a child. You don't do it when you're 40. You don't learn how to do that stuff. You don't learn patriotism when you're 35 or when you're 40 or when you're 60. No, I mean, 
what's embedded in you, for the most part, is going to stay embedded. You might move a little one way or the other, but for the most part, that foundation is set. So this song lists every voice we sing, and much of it is for our community. It's not really for our community in the long term. It's for the entire world. It's for the entire nation. It's for the entire generation. It's for all races, spaces, genders, and places. That's what it's for, for that younger generation. And more understanding of that, start singing that song, and then guess what? That has to be taught in history class. That has to be taught in elementary school. Why do you still play Lift Every Voice and Sing? What's the origin of the song? What's the meaning of the song? Why do they play that song? That opens up other avenues for learning, for listening, for understanding, for growth. And growth in harmony and unity brings peace, togetherness in a better world. Not just a better community, not just a better state, not just a better frame of time, but for an entire world. Right? 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 There you go. So, that's the reason why I think Lift Every Voice and Sing should be played. It should be played, you know, it, it could be, for instance, it could replace taking out to the ball game during the seventh inning stretch of a Major League Baseball game. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some Peterson Packer Jacks. I don't care if I never come back. Nah, let's get rid of that shit and bring in Lift Every Voices thing during the seventh inning stretch. It can be played at the beginning of, second, of the second half at college basketball games. Or, uh, yeah, college basketball games. Or it can be played at the end of the third quarter of NBA and NFL and college football games. I mean, I think if, if this was really going to take off, in terms of this becoming fruition, and look, I know it's a long shot, and this is, this is my idea. But man, the NBA would be most receptive to this. And I guess it could probably start for them, for instance, on Martin Luther King Day. Then it could move toward February for Black History Month, and then eventually it could be part of the everyday for NBA games, part of the NBA fabric. Because really, when it comes to social justice, and recognizing uh, the efforts and the contributions of black folks. We're speaking about the NBA being the leading source as far as the players are concerned when we're speaking about the four major sports in this country, which is football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. The NBA has been far and away, in my opinion, the most socially active in terms of expressing themselves and being proud of who they are and bringing that out to their fans and bringing them out to their communities. So I think if anything like that would come to fruition, it would happen first in the NBA games. And I think those players would absolutely positively love it, both black, white, foreign, wherever. It could be sung during the, can you imagine this? It could be sung between, for instance, the second and third periods of the NHL hockey game. That would be, now that would be something. That would be something. I mean, there's a lot of white folks who go to Major League Baseball games. So to see a bunch of white folks at Wrigley Field or, or Fenway Park or Dodger Stadium or, um, any of these, any of these historic, uh, stadiums, out there, a bunch of white folks singing up there, lift every voice and sing. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. And ooh, I can imagine how hard it could be when it first came out for some of them folks in some of them regions. Could you imagine listening in the SEC in places like Mississippi or Oklahoma State or Auburn or Alabama? Could you imagine between the third and fourth quarter singing lift every voice and sing? 
I mean, I'm sorry, man. I hate the stereotype and everything like that. But damn, just think about it. We're talking about the SEC, which just took away the Confederate flag in Tallahassee and Gainesville and all them places. Ooh, at the beginning, them white folks, them cow, them, them, them hillbillies would lose their mind. You took away our Confederate flag and we got this lit every voice and sing. You're taking that to the same level of the national anthem. I can't believe this country PC is run amok. I told you we should have voted for Trump. I mean, could you imagine at the beginning them fucking jackasses who actually feel that way? Goodness gracious sakes alive. Woo, man, would Alabama, with the University of Alabama, would they risk the, the immediate wrath of their fan base, some, not saying all, I'm not saying all, but a, I would say this, a decent enough portion of their fan base to maybe they would have to have Nick Saban do us a favor. Like, Nick, could you kind of like go out there and talk about, hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're a pretty powerful guy, Nick. Do you mind going out there and talking about, hey, y'all, I mean, lift every voice and sing, earth and, river, earth and heaven ring. <laughs> do you mind? Because, you know, our fan base, some of our fan base are losing their minds. Some of these boosters are losing their minds. Some of these folks who give us these nice fat paychecks like to help pay your salary, they're losing their minds about this. And they're talking about maybe not re-upping and doing everything like that on top of making sure that, you know, we win national championships. Do you mind going out to these luncheons and everything to kind of say, you know, with every voice and sing to look at heaven ring. I mean, that's going to be taking place. Those conversations will be taking place in Starksville, those places would be taken, those uh, conversations would be taking place in Columbia, those uh, conversations with their head football coach will be taking place in a lot of places out there down south and somewhere in the Midwest. So, woo, boy, that would be interesting. But I just think it would be a good idea. I think it would be a great idea. At the beginning, you play the national anthem, and then sometime during the contest, as I mentioned before, in between third and fourth quarters, started the second half, you go ahead and you play, lift every voice and sing. I mean, after all, they play the national anthem for the boxers' nations when he or she is in the ring, right? When you, you know, I mean, when we're talking about um, a Hispanic fighter or a Mexican fighter, they play the national anthem, even if they're we're talking about you know the fight being in Vegas or New York or something like that. They pay respects for the other fighter from the other country and play their national anthem. So, I mean, why not do it also when we're speaking about, you know, any of those events, any of those events where they're playing an anthem. Now, I understand the argument, and I'm going to explain the argument here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. The argument for not playing the anthem, I can hear it now, is that, you know, you would have to play, if you're going to go ahead and play the quote-unquote black national anthem, first of all, we don't even know what, what the hell is a black national anthem. We thought the black national anthem was the our national anthem. You know, oh, say, can you see what the fuck we're talking about? A black national anthem. For the ignorance who are going to try to, go, are going to try to argue that it's like, well, that's being, that's being, uh, divisive. You know, that's tearing us apart, you know, because you have your own separate national anthem. That means that you're, or, that you're basically, you know, talking about having your own separate country or something like that. You know, your own separate way of life. We need to come together. We don't need to grow apart. So we need to embrace ourselves even more. We need to wrap ourselves around the American flag even more and embrace lift every, uh, you know, oh, say, can you see the national anthem? We don't need any other national anthem being played as far as the black national anthem, but it's not even officially called the Black National Anthem because as white folks, we didn't give you permission 
to officially say that Lift Every Voice and Sing was the Black National Anthem. Oh, that's right. And I'm learning. I'm learning. I forgot. I'm not in charge of that anymore, right? Sorry. But the argument to be, well, wait a minute. If you're going to have the quote-unquote Black National Anthem, what's next? The Mexican National Anthem before every game? The Irish National Anthem at the end of the third point period? The German National Anthem at the end of the fourth inning? The Japanese National Anthem at the end of the sixth round? The Gay and Lesbian National Anthem in between a power play? The Jewish National Anthem? The Women's National Anthem? I mean, where do we start here? When do we, when do we stop? You know, we open up Pandora's box with the quote-unquote Black National Anthem. Pretty soon we'll have the fucking, I don't know, the, uh, Interracial national anthem. I don't know. Before we'll have the Muslim national anthem. I mean, the Sharia law national anthem. Where do we start? Where do we start? Gee whiz. Next thing we know, you'll have the Beat Bobby Flay national anthem. The Chop national anthem. Goodness gracious. And I will say this. The reason why none of those situations would be prudent in terms of that is because with the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing. We motherfucking built this country and we built that shit for fucking free. We built that shit for free. The Mexicans didn't build this, didn't build this country back in the 1800s and 1900s. The German and the Irish and the Japanese weren't out there picking cotton and being sold by, and being sold and all those types of things. The gay and lesbian communities, they weren't out there building this country. They didn't build the White House. They didn't build the monuments. The Jewish and women's groups, they didn't face the hard time and the hard labor that we did building this country in the 18th century and the 19th century and subjugated to all the bullshit that we had to go through. Now, we're just a part of Americana as you guys are in terms of the white folks are concerned. So, yeah, we're talking about lift every voice and sing. That's our way of showing our pride. You know, it's all about history, right? I mean, we're speaking about the national anthem. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? I mean, it was a situation. That's history, man. If you listen to the lyrics and everything, that's part of history. So every time that national anthem is being played about our country, it gives you a little education about what the what our history is all about, right? Well, same thing with lift every voice and sing. That's part of American history as the national anthem is. And if you're going to honor America by playing the national anthem, I think it's only prudent that you go ahead and also honor America by playing the black national anthem to get the entire flavor of exactly what this country was all about. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. I mean, I think really, if you're at an HBCU school, why isn't that being played instead of the national anthem, in my opinion? For every sporting event, for every situation where an anthem should be played, man, if you're from the SWAC or the MEAC or any other, you know, black college or university, historically black college or university, play that doggone lift every voice and sing, and then that's it. Let's get this show on the road. There's no law saying that you have to play the national anthem. I mean, I don't know why these historically black colleges and universities don't do that already. So there again, and really, for those who don't even like the fact that, why do we even play the national anthem to begin with? It's a sporting event. What's even the reason for playing the national anthem at sporting events? I don't even know. Well, the tradition of singing the national anthem at sporting events began during the 1918 World Series. Of course, the next year was the 1919 World Series where the Black Sox threw the series, but I digress. During the seventh inning stretch during the series, the 1918 World Series, 
During the seventh inning stretch of the first game between the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago, Gub, Chicago Cubs and Thugs, the band spontaneously began to play the Star Spangled Banner. It was not the official national anthem at that time, but the players and the fans turned to face the center field flagpole and began to sing along, and by the end, nearly the entire stadium was singing, and the song ended with a chorus of thunderous applause, and Harry Frazee, then the owner of the Boston Red Sox, said, hey, you know what? That's a nice way for me to uh, go ahead and make a few extra bucks and show my patriotism and, you know, give my attaboy to what's the boys over there in World War One." So after that, he began the game by having the band play that song in the series and then it just kind of caught on from there but you know I can understand where you know as of right now people are saying why exactly with all the kneeling and the threatening the kneeling and the misrepresentation of people who do kneel and the morons and the losers and the ignorance and the foolish and the privileged who think that you know kneeling for the national anthem is somehow showing disrespect to America burning the national flag is showing disrespect to the national anthem you fucking idiots not people protesting my kneeling. But some folks never learn. We're working on the younger generation. So don't get angry, Wendell. Calm it down. So yeah, so even for those who are thinking about, you know, why are we, why are we even playing that to begin with? I said we should continue to play. I have no problems or no qualms about the national anthem being played. It's all part of this country. I mean, you know, nothing wrong. There's a nice song. It's a good song. Good lyrics. But I just say that it should also be accompanied by the Black National Anthem, which is Lift Every Voice and Sing. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, it's June 21st. The year is 2020. Is Mike Gundy fired yet? I got to talk to my man, Eric G. The G-Man does an awesome radio show down in Tulsa with uh, Coach Pat Jones. I want to talk to him about what the hell is going on with uh, Mike Gundy, man, because uh, he needs to be gone. <laughs> he needs to be fired. He ain't winning enough football games to be putting up with all the bullshit that uh, this coach is dealing with. And not only does the head coach and the administration, not, not only does the head coach need to be fired, could someone please tell the administration about Black Lives Matter? Because obviously they don't get it. They don't get it by their actions because Coach Gundy is still being employed by Oklahoma State. Yeah, I understand the state might be in a financial bind. Yes, I don't know what the bailout is, or I don't know how much it is to buy him out. I have no idea. Boone Pickens isn't around, so you can't fleece him for any more money to possibly buy him out. But it comes to a point where, you know, it's getting to the point where 
Mike Gundy is starting to become a detriment to Oklahoma State football moving forward. And I just think that he needs to be fired yesterday. And I'm just not talking about the whole deal with Chuba Hubbard and everything. He That was basically this whole situation about, oops, my bad, Black Lives Matter and wearing this T-shirt with a bad move and all this other damage control that he's been trying to do very in a, in a very insincere tone. But that's just the final nail in the coffin for me. If... You know, if it, if it was just that, and he was thirteen and two instead of two and thirteen against Oklahoma, and he had won a couple of uh, conference championships, and he had maybe been in the playoff maybe once or twice, maybe possibly, arguably, especially Stillwater, Oklahoma, you could get away with having Mike Gundy as your coach moving forward after sixteen years. But I mean, this is just a situation where no, everything that he's done. Compared with the record, compared with his win-loss percentage and his record, win-loss record against Oklahoma, he needs to go. You hear these comments that he made in a news conference this year, April 7th, when he called the Corona-19, uh, the coronavirus, he called it, or COVID-19 virus, he, he called the Chinese virus. He made that comment at the time when Asians and Americans of Asian descent were being physically attacked and verbally attacked by racists and bigots because their perceived connection between Asians and the virus. Remember that time when Asians were going through that bullshit because we got these fucking idiots out here thinking about making the connection between China, Wuhan, flu, Asian, slanty eyes, no butts, uh, white, uh, uh, yellow skin. Oh, obviously, they must be the reason why we're going through this bullshit. You see how what ignorance is? See, I'm speaking to the ignorance right now by using those ignorant, buffoonish uh, stereotypes. So the Asians were going through that nonsense. And then Mike Gundy, who's in a part of town where the college football program is very prevalent and very impactful, and Mike Gundy, who played quarterback at the University of Oklahoma State, I mean, this is a situation where he has some clout where he has some, some 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 power down there calling COVID-19 the Chinese virus to a place in Stillwater, Oklahoma, who is lockstep and barrel with the fucking racist idiot that we have in the White House right now. You can see where at the time where Asian Americans were being attacked by fellow Americans and those of Asian descent were being attacked by fellow Americans. You could probably see that wasn't the best idea to go ahead and say that. Very wasn't uh, wasn't very uh, good as far as judgment why was concerned, Coach. Then he suggested the same thing that the same uh, conference call. He suggested that people should Lysol the bottom of their shoes, and then after mentioning how the coronavirus attacks lungs, uh, Gundy said, "I don't want to try and make this much more different than the common flu." <sighs> He also said that he hoped testing would be widely available within four weeks. That was during April 7th when we all knew that there wasn't going to be testing available like we needed to have testing available within those four week, within that four-week time span. But he said that he was hoping that the testing would be available within four weeks because that would allow the 100 people who worked with the Oklahoma State University football to get swabbed and return to work. 
And then he went on to say that the players need to return during the time when most of the world was self-quarantined. Why? His quote was, they are 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds, and they are healthy, and they have the ability to fight this virus off. If that is true, then we sequester them and continue because we need to run money through the state of Oklahoma. And the winner of the Dumbass Award goes to... So excited. Mike Gundy! Yeah, for wrong. All right. Mike Gundy is the recipient of the Dumbass Award for the comments that he made during the April 7th press conference, news conference, where he said as far as the kids coming back to school or the players coming back to school, they're 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds, and they're healthy. If that's true, we need them sequestered and continue because we need to run money through the state of Oklahoma. With comments like that, the Dumbass Award is proudly to present Mike Gundy with this prestigious award. And I must say, Coach, it was well-earned. Congratulations. Congratulations. What a jackass. What a jackass. Good Lord have mercy. So that really, those comments that he made, that was really the most hilarious performance he gave since this. If you want to go after an athlete, one of my athletes, you go after one that doesn't do the right things. You don't downgrade him because he does everything right and may not play as well on Saturday. And you let us make that decision. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Attacking an amateur athlete for doing everything right. And then you want to write articles about guys that don't do things right and downgrade them, the ones that do make plays. Are you kidding me? Where are we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not, a, I'm not a kid. Write something about me or our coaches. Don't write about a kid that does everything right, that's hearts broken, and then say that the coaches said he was scared. That ain't true. And then to say that we made that decision because Donovan Woods, because he threatened to transfer, that's not true. So get your facts straight. That ain't true. That ain't true. Gundy also said he stumbled upon an unbiased news network. It's called One American. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, come on, coach. See, okay. He said he stumbled upon an unbiased news network. It's called One American News. It was so refreshing, he said. They just report the news. There's no commentary. There's no opinion. There's no left. There's no right. So you might be asking, what is the OWN Network, which is one, is OAN, which is One American Network? It is the most fervently pro-Trump cable network and said that the network considers a concise lesson in creating fake news. So this was the folks who were sitting there talking about Black Lives are a joke and all this kind of stuff and Antifa is really some black hate group and all of this type of stupidity. They're all about divisiveness and they're all about ignorance. They're all about, you know, they're, all, they're like in the Alex Jones type of sphere as far as stupidity and nonsense and bullshit is concerned. And Mike, and now Mike Gundy's up there talking about, I stumbled upon this unbiased news network. God damn, man. Why don't you just say, you know, last night I was driving home and I stopped at this cross burning. 
And it was like so nice they're lighting this cross up to let everybody know that they're celebrating the, the they're celebrating the Lord. So I got out of my car and it was all of these wonderful guys in white sheets and pointy hats. And they had sheets all over their faces and their, their bodies and stuff. They had these white heads and they were carrying pitchforks and everything. Oh, it was, I just stumbled across it and I said, you know what? These guys are cool. <laughs> these guys are awesome. You know, no, no left, no right, you know, just no opinions, no commentary. It was great. They were just sitting there burning crosses and it was awesome. Gee whiz, you guys need to know about that. Oh, it's the KKK. Well, shit, how did I know? Okay, man. Thank you very much. So all of those things. And then, you know, the I'm a man, I'm 40 and him trying to get the Tennessee job when it came available and him trying to get other jobs when they came available mainly also a way to get more money to get a bigger raise from Oklahoma State and all of these other things, you know, basically, and once again, not beating Oklahoma, not having the success on the football field to justify some of the nonsense that he's been doing. But, of course, of course we know the final nail in the coffin was the Chuba Hubbard situation, who's the late nation's leading rusher last season. He tweeted Monday, last Monday, that he will not be doing anything with Oklahoma State until things change in response to a photo of Coach Mike Gundy wearing an Owen, uh, OAN t-shirt. And this is what Hubbard tweeted. He said, I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society, and it's unacceptable. Now, in an audio with Mike Gundy and Chuba Hubbard making peace, it awkwardly sounded like this. In light of today's tweet with the uh, t-shirt I was wearing, um, I uh, I've met with um, some players and uh, realized it's a very sensitive issue with what's going on uh, in today's society. And so we had a great meeting and uh, made aware of some things that uh, players feel like that can make our organization, our culture even better than it is here at Oklahoma State. And I'm looking forward to making some changes and it starts at the top with me and we got good days ahead. I'll start off by first saying that I went about, I went about it the wrong way by tweeting. I'm not someone that, you know, has to you know, tweet something to make change. I should have went to him as a man, and I'm, all, I'm more about action. So that was bad on my part. But from now on, we're going to focus on bringing change, and that's the most important thing. In a lot of today's tweet with the T-shirt I was wearing, I met with some players and realized it's a very sensitive issue. <sighs> What's going on in today's society? And so we had a great meeting. I was made aware of some things that players feel like can make our organization, our culture, even better than it, than it is here in Oklahoma State. I'm looking forward. Oh, this bullshit. I'm looking forward to make some, some changes. And it starts at the top with me. And we've got good old days ahead. Good days ahead. Good Lord have mercy. Now, of course, the glaring omission and error from that video by Gundy was no apology or explanation for wearing the shirt, right? No apology for the Chupa Hubbard for putting him in a position to take those steps he took to bring awareness to the situation. And no mention of Black Lives Matter or anything regarding listening and learning from the black community and his players. It was just a matter of, hey, you know, we had a good conversation and... Everything's cool and everything's back to normal. And, you know, in the video, you had Hubbard apologizing for something he shouldn't have been apologizing for. He should have come to him as a man. You know what? Mike, Mike Gundy should not have been wearing that shirt. 
And if you came to a man, I'm quite sure it wouldn't have really done anything. Now, current and former players have come out to support Hubbard, former Oklahoma State and current Baltimore Ravens running back Justice Hill, and former Oklahoma State University and current Cleveland Brown cornerback A.J. Green weighed in with their support. And after seeing the mistake that he made on the video, and I'm quite sure he got some feedback saying, did you say Black Lives Matter? Did you even apologize for wearing the shirt? Did you even give an explanation why you wore the shirt? Van Gundy, or not only Van Gundy, not Jeff Van Gundy, nor Stan Van Gundy, but their distant, 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 distant cousin, Mike Gundy, gave it another try. I had a great meeting with our team today. Our players expressed their feelings as individuals and as team members. They helped me see through their eyes how the t-shirt affected their hearts. Once I learned how that network felt about Black Lives Matter, I was disgusted and knew it was completely unacceptable to me. I want to apologize to all members of our team, former players and their families for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the last two days. Black Lives Matter to me, our players matter to me. These meetings with our team have been eye-opening and will result in positive changes for Oklahoma State football. I sincerely hope the Oklahoma State family near and far will accept my humble apology as we move forward. Oh yes, you can see the sincerity dripping from his lips, right? I had a great meeting with our team today. Our players expressed their feelings as individuals and as team members. They helped me see through their eyes how the t-shirt affected their hearts. Good Lord have mercy. Once I learned how that network felt about Black Lives Matter, I was disgusted and knew it was completely unacceptable to me. That ain't true! Then of course he went on to say, I want to apologize to all members of our team, former players and their families for the pain and discomfort that has been caused over the past over the last two days. Black lives matter to me. That ain't true! Our players matter to me. That ain't true! These meetings with our team have been eye-opening and will result in positive changes for Oklahoma State football. That ain't true! I sincerely hope the Oklahoma State family near and far will accept my humble apology as we move forward. Bullshit! You know basically what he wanted to say, right? This is what Mike Gundy really wanted to say. I had a team meeting today because most of them don't like me right now, and I had to dig myself out of this hole because of my bullshit. Once I learned that the players care and know more about life than the nonsense on social media, watching their favorite NFL players, going to parties and banging attractive females on campus, I had to come up with the bullshit that I had no idea about the network I touted as telling the truth had those type and had those type of views. I had no idea my players knew anything about politics or even cared about it. I was mainly wearing the shirt because I know how well it goes over with the good old folks here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Black lives matter to me. And along they're scoring touchdowns, sacking the quarterback, and helping me win football games so I can keep my salary of $5.125 million per year and all the perks of being a college football coach in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And the longer that happens, 
And along with those black guys do it, black lives matter to me. Hopefully we'll have a successful season, beat Oklahoma in the Bedlam series, where my record against them is 2-13, and and we can forget any of this stuff happened. After all, living in Steelwater, Oklahoma, the thoughts and views and opinions of those jackasses on the OAN network, for a lot of you, coincide and are right down the line of what you agree in. But, as you know, I have to keep my players, and since most of them are black, and most of them who are black contribute to me winning football games and me getting paid $5.125 million, I have to go through this bullshit. But believe me, guys, I'm with you. Now here with my compatriots in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Gee whiz, man. You know the most telling thing is the statements made by the university president and athletic director. I mean, right now we are going through a situation right situation right now. We're going through a third reconstruction, y'all. We are going through a civil rights movement. And then you got these statements from the university president and the athletic director, Weak Burns Hargis, President Burns Hargis. Apropos, huh? He said, I hear and respect the concerns expressed by our black student athletes. This is a time for unity of purpose to confront race, racial inequalities and justice. We will not tolerate insensitive behavior by anyone at Oklahoma State, unless it's their football coach, and then we can continue to pay him $5.125 million in Steelwater, Oklahoma, for him to get his ass kicked every year by Oklahoma. Then, this is also a statement from the AD at Oklahoma State, Mike Holder. He said, this afternoon has been very disturbing. The tweets from the current and former players are of grave concern. Bullshit. Bullshit. Play me out as I say bullshit. the bottom line here on one of those world of sports the podcast I, as I end it with this. This is the bottom line. Bottom line. Mike Gundy is not good enough to survive these national embarrassments. embarrassments. Going into his 16th year at Oklahoma State, yeah, he has an overall record of 129 and 64. He's 77 and 52 in conference. He's won the Big 12 conference twice in 2010 and 2011. He finished second or tied for second four times when we're speaking 2009 2013, 2015, and 16. But, you know, he, he went after the coaching position in Tennessee in 2007. Ex-NFL player Alfred Williams alleged that Mike Gundy basically called him a nigger in college in 1989. And, of course, you know, they were talking about, oh, no, 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 he didn't do that, he didn't do that. You know, all that kind of stuff. There, there's going to be an investigation about that. And, look, this is where we also need to take into account in terms of Mike Gundy still being the coach at Oklahoma State. 
This is going to be used as ammunition. You don't think Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman and all of these other coaches who are coming down to uh, recruit the same type of players that Mike Gundy is going to be coaching, is going to be recruiting against, you don't think they're going into their homes? And if that recruit has any thought about going to Oklahoma State, you don't think that Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman and, then, and, and all of these other coaches aren't going to be bringing up the bullshit that Mike Gundy has been about? You don't think that he's going to be bringing up the racial slur that he told to Alfred Williams? Where Alfred Williams was talking about, I got 20 other guys who will vouch for what Mike Gundy said, so it just ain't about me. Me said, she said, he said, or he didn't say. You don't think that those coaches going into those rooms to recruit those four and five star recruits that Mike Gundy needs to try to compete, you don't think that they're going to be laying that stuff on them? Especially when we're talking about black kids and the situation that we have right now? No, man. Mike Gundy needs to go. I'm sorry. Mike Gundy, I mean, we're speaking about a guy in T-Boom Pickens ain't around anymore unless you're going to T-Boom picking him up from six feet under and bring him up to see if you can get any money out of that coffin that he's buried in. The man donated over $652 million to the university, giving it most to the athletic department. He ain't around no more. He donated to the uh, football stadium in 1973. That's why it's called T-Boom Pickens. After he made a $70 million donation, including $20 million uh, uh, to, uh, for the stadium expansion, which was completed in 2009, T. Boone ain't coming around no more. So this is a situation, man, I think where it's time for you guys, as you're speaking about, and I understand, look, the economy in Oklahoma ain't great. I got it all down. I understand that we're in a pandemic right now. I understand people don't have their jobs right now. I know that because of this pandemic, and the idiot that we have in the White House right now that we could be facing a recession soon. I, I get that, and I understand that. But man, it is time. It is time. It is time. It is time. It is time if you're an Oklahoma State fan to say goodbye. Goodbye to Mr. Jeff. To Mr. St- Jeff. Jeff Gundy. To Mr. Mike Gundy. Say goodbye to Mike Gundy. All right, man. I'm out of here. I am done. I am starving like Marvin. I've got to get me something to eat. What time is it right now? Nine o'clock. Is it too late for me to eat a pizza? Oh, man, I'm on this diet. I went to the gym today, and I'm trying to um, trying to watch what I eat. So I don't know if I want a pizza or not, but I want something that's good. It's Sunday night, and tomorrow I'll be back to eating, like, green drinking green drinks and having salad with tuna in it, so. Mm. I want to eat something nasty, dirty, fatty, and absolutely delicious. All right, so I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. I want you to stay good. I want you to stay well. I want you to do everything that you need to do to make this world a better place. And uh, tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this podcast, I want to end this podcast with the Black National Anthem. Be good, be strong, be proud, be safe, be together. Love you all. Peace. Music.